Hi, my name's Gina, and I'm going to tell you about a little town called Wichita Falls, Texas. Hi, my name's Melissa, and I'm going to tell you about a man who earned his millions in donuts. Hi, I'm Kimberly, and I'm going to tell you about a carnival machine that gave a screenwriter a pretty big idea. What does all this have to do with the word fortune? Find out in this week's episode of History Bluffs. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Bluffs. It's where truth is stranger than fiction. I want to welcome to the show now, it is your host, it's Chris! Hello, hello everyone, welcome to another episode of History Bluffs, where as our tech extraordinaire Adam said, truth is indeed can be stranger than fiction. So, uh, so yes, uh, I will uh, first start by saying, hello Adam, how are you my friend? Hey, I'm doing good, it's uh, uh, hopefully... The tapering of the heat index warnings here in Orlando, Florida. Yeah, please, yeah. Please go away. Hopefully but other than that, good. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll start to see a break in the next, you know, seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven, something point. like that. Yeah, something. yeah. That'd be great. But uh, well, yes, we have a fantastic show for you tonight. As Edda mentioned, our uh, topic is fortune, uh, and we have three oh, outstanding historians that are going to tell you, regale you with with stories of inspired by the word fortune. So let's not waste any time more than I already have, and let's meet our historians. I'm going to start with Gina. Hello, Gina. Hi, Chris. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Just uh, getting back and getting back in the swing of things. I missed yeah. you guys. Yeah, we missed you, and, and yeah. uh, it's great to have you back. Uh, so uh, my, my question for you, Gina, opening question, is going to be the same for all three of you. Um, mm -hmm. I... Uh, recently had a fortune cookie with a meal and uh and i you know don't open them often but i knew this was coming so i opened it up and it said i will find my solution where i least expect it and a i didn't know i was looking for a solution yeah i didn't know i was looking for a solution but it, it's gonna come where i least expected so gina what is a memorable f uh, fortune cookie that you uh have received um, this was my favorite one, and I was a little girl, and this got me into like opening everybody's all the time because I thought it was hilarious. So, um, so it said on the front, Confucius says, and then you turn it over, and it says a lot of things, and that <laughs> slayed me. And I was like, "That's great," because <laughs> all you hear when you're a little kid is like, you know. And so I was like. Perfect. So nice. that was on my fridge for as long as I could remember in college. Nice. <laughs> like I brought Very it with nice. me everywhere. When I, I've since lost it, but. <laughs> okay. Well, at least you remembered it. It's great. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our second historian is Melissa. Hello, Melissa. Hi. And Melissa, if I'm not mistaken, this is your debut as a historian on History of Love. Is that correct? It is. I'm All really right. excited to be here. Well, welcome to the show. We're really excited Hi. to have you. Yes, yes. Yay, indeed. We're really excited to have you. Uh, Melissa, what is a memorable fortune cookie saying that you have had in, in your life at some point? If you remember, I think one. the most memorable one was uh, one time I got a fortune cookie and I was with a bunch of friends. Um, we all, I think it was like a like a P.F. Chang's type of situation. 
and I got a fortune cookie and it had a blank piece of paper on the inside. What? It was like the most upsetting thing. No. Everybody you, could, you could write your own fortune. Exactly. The future's right. wide open. Oh, wow. These are some glass half full kind of people here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'd have been pissed. <laughs> I'd have been pissed. <laughs> Yeah, all right. That is great. And ladies and gentlemen, our third historian is Kimberly. Hello, Kimberly. Welcome back. Kimberly, I have the same question for you. What is a memorable fortune that you have received at some point? Uh, like Melissa, I've gotten a few that have been blank, so that was always hmm. hopefully wow. not ominous. Uh, I think I got one one time that said something like, you bring the razzle-dazzle. Whoa. Right. Whoa. That's more of a statement than a fortune, but thanks for yes, a statement. A statement of fortune. Yeah. That's right. Or that's right. it's a directive. Yeah. It's like you bring the razzle dazzle or don't. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was an assignment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happens. Yes. Well, uh, fortune is our topic, as Adam mentioned. And uh, so uh, the way this show works for everyone watching and for people listening on the podcast. Um, we have our three outstanding historians, Gina, Melissa, and Kimberly. And uh, inspired by the word fortune, each of them have come up with a story. And uh, Adam, if you don't mind, you put up the card with the uh, rules of the game, please. Let's do it. Every game show has rules. This is no exception. For those of you listening on our audio podcast, Chris is now going to tell you about the rules on our screen. Yes, indeed. So there are a couple of rules for this. As I mentioned, the Historians are going to tell us a story inspired by the topic. Tonight's topic was the word fortune. Uh, and two of our historians are going to be telling truthful stories. And one of our historians is going to be bluffing. So our job collectively, yeah. Our collective job is to figure out, try to figure out which of our three historians is bluffing tonight. So the true stories are going to be factual stories. Uh, based on uh, true things and true places. Uh, the bluff story is going to be fictional. Now the fictional story may be, uh, have a, a, the premise will be a bluff. Uh, the fictional story could be uh, involving a, an actual person. It could be involving an actual place, but the premise of the story is going to be false. And that is going to be our bluff for tonight. None of the uh, audience knows, I don't know, uh, only Adam knows the only Adam and the bluffer know the true identity of tonight's bluff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Almighty so, uh, power. And the, the last thing we ask from the audience is that no audience help is loud, meaning, um, yeah, I know, I know. Um, but as we go through hate the, three rounds, and I'll explain the rounds in a second, we're going to go three rounds of stories. Uh, and if you think you hear something from one of our historians that makes you make the light come on and say, aha, I know that's not true. We ask you not to debunk anyone's story until after the third round is told, and that's when we're all going to have an opportunity to make our accusations about who is bluffing. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we also ask you not to look anything up on the internet using any kind of search engine, um, and uh, and and that way we can hold our bluff until the end, and then we get the big reveal at the end of the show and figure out who is bluffing and uh, who has guessed correctly about who is bluffing. So That sounds um, like good television right there. That's the makings of really good does. television. We are making good television. And as I mentioned, there's three rounds. Each round gets uh, successively smaller in time, shorter in time. So the opening round is going to be 75 seconds. Each of the three historians gets 75 seconds to lay out the premise of their story. Then we will go to round number two. Uh, round two is going to be 60 seconds for each person. And then round number three, the concluding round, each historian 
has 45 seconds to wrap up their story. And that That's like no time at all. That's like a know, breath. It really is. At that point, we will determine, we will make some guesses and determine who we think each of us thinks is tonight's history bluff. So without much further ado, Adam, are you ready to go to round number one? Oh my God, let's do it. Round let's number it. one. All right. Here we we are, are going to set our historians off on the side panel there. And I'm actually going to switch places with Gina. Gina, you're going to be our opening oh, yeah. uh, for round one. So when you come out, you're going to have the main square. And I'll be up in that corner spot there. And when you hear the uh, gong and you see the little sundial come up on screen, you will have 75 seconds to tell us your opening round story. Not before okay. we reveal the technology of the hour. Oh. Behold, the Round Tracker 9000. There it is. What is that new? That tells us who has gone in which round, how many people have gone in each round. So okay. as each dot gets filled up after each of you tell your round, your story for that round. So for round number one, we're going to switch places, Gina and I. She's going to come out. And Gina, like I said, when you see the sundown and you hear the boom, mm-hmm. you have the floor. Okay, got it. Okay, so um, we're going back to 1912, the year the Titanic had been uh, drowning in the ocean. But no, that was happening way over there. We are going to take us all the way over to Texas, um, very far away. And in 1912, that is where somebody struck oil in the great city of Burke Burnett, Texas, which is right next to Wichita Falls, which was the capital of the Wichita County uh, in Texas at the time. So uh, what happened was the, the the striking of the oil brought a whole bunch of prospectors. And so the town went from like maybe a thousand people to 20,000 almost overnight. So uh, there were people in the town that saw this as a, um, saw the town explode like that and said, you know what, we need to build more buildings and some more um, things downtown to take you know to take in all of these people and to take care of them so uh, the gentleman his name was JD McMahon uh, actually offered to go ahead and build a big skyscraper right in the middle of downtown Wichita Falls um, right next to one of the most famous buildings in the downtown strip uh, and so he said he would attach the building right to it he presented the plans and by God it was approved approved it was mm-hmm. all right Interesting, interesting. All right, we're going to now hear some of some thoughts from the other historians about Gina's story. So, Melissa, what did you think of Gina's opening there, uh, starting in the year, same year the Titanic sunk, uh, mm-hmm. about uh, striking oil in uh, the town next to Wichita Falls, Texas? Yeah, so it sounds like even as she's talking about the construction in this town, that she might be doing some construction of her own in this story. So I have a little bit of doubt. I'm gonna, I'll I'll reserve all judgment, but uh, skyscrapers this early, I don't know. That seems a little, something's not ringing a bell. Okay, all right. And Kimberly, what do you think of Gina's story? Yeah, weirdly from uh, Titanic to Texas, but I guess, 1912 uh other notable things but like not not getting a lot out of this one yet just there's an oil rush gold rush thing and we want to build a skyscraper and they said yes all right (laughs) you need more information yes i believe it but uh i gotta hear more it's plausible it's plausible but we need more information to make a determination all right sounds good we are now going to bring melissa out for her opening uh, story and Melissa, you have 75 seconds when you see the sundial and you hear the gong, you have the floor. All right, so 
Have you ever wondered why donuts come in a pink box? Well, it's all thanks to a donut shop entrepreneur by the na name of Ted Noy. He came over to the United States as a Cambodian immigrant in the 1970s, and he quickly discovered that donuts were the way to go. He started out working his way at a popular donut shop chain named Winchell's, and he realized that it was his lifelong dream to work with donuts. So in order to be profitable, he ended up doing some interesting things like they reused the coffee stirs that you use for coffee. They basically just put them in a box instead of throwing them away and they just washed them. And the other thing they did is they changed from the white box that the donuts were coming in to a pink box because it saved um, a couple of cents here and there. So eventually Ted opened up his own donut shop and he basically became this kind of entrepreneur in the area in California. And by the end of 1979, he owned 25 shops in the state of California. So it gets better and you'll have to wait for the next part. After. <laughs> <laughs> promise is All promise. Right. <laughs> All right. All right. Nice start there, uh, <laughs> Melissa. And uh, Kimberly, what did you think of Melissa's opening? Um, <laughs> coffee stirrer sounds gross. Yes, um, and I don't really see how using a pink box would be cheaper than any other color. So I would think if it was colored specially, it would cost more. So that Ooh. sounds interesting. It could be, <laughs> could be something we'll find out more about in a future round. Gina, what did you think the story of well, Ted Noy coming over? It was it, was it annoying to you? Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, two things. It was just, I feel like um, that was a really good job, Kim, of trying to poke holes in her story. No, but, they're not as fun if I have to explain them. Just so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, then, um, just, uh, so the one thing that I do want to say, though, is that um, I found it just lovely that this man's lifelong dream was to make donuts. Like I, uh, I, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. I wanted like, there are some weird <laughs> things I wanted to do. So I'm like, I guess this. And then like, if this guy, Ted Noy, is that what we called him? Yes, um, yes. If this guy is not the time to make the donuts guy, I do not want to hear the rest. Like Ooh, just oh, her out of the screen. Just, okay. Uh, a little picky on our donut makers. I know. Very, very nice. All right. Well, oh, we'll hey, have Chris, yeah, 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 before yeah. we move on, I just wanted to say, you know, kind of supporting. I, mean, I might have glazed over a little bit during that, uh, but I did notice. <laughs> I do have to point out that pink is uh, we use pink in our show as a tech because it is the cheaper color. Just say it's okay. <laughs> that okay. is a fact. That is a fact. So and, 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 and may I, Adam, may I just say uh, on your uh, glazed over comment, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I, got, I got you, buddy. There it is. There That's for me. Right. Sorry about that. You can't That's... do your own trombone, Adam. <laughs> I know. Well, well I did. I wanted I did. to. I'm backing up, Chris. I'm just here to support. All right. Well, we have two of the dots filled in round one on the round tracker 9000. We do. So that means that Kimberly still has to go. So, Kimberly, we're going to switch places. You and I, you have the main square. And when you see the sundial and you hear the bong, you are on the floor. In 1988, there was a film called Big, and it was really, 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 really popular, and it was written by Gary Ross and uh, co-directed by Penny Marshall. It was a super big hit, but it had a lot of troubled beginnings. Uh, the screenwriter, uh, Gary Ross, this was his first big project. The only thing done before was like an episode of the show called like The Hitchhiker, 
I, he'd only written for television, but never for film. He had a really big meeting coming up with 20th Century Fox uh, for their new fantasy adult film, and he had to bring in a proposal. He was having a heck of a time coming up with any kind of idea, and it was really stressing him out. He had days to go, and he was still not able to come up with it. So in his insomnia, late one night, he went outside, he lived in New York, and he lived by the pier. And he started walking up and down the pier, and he noticed some lights coming down from the way. And it was actually one of those old-timey fortune-telling machines, a Zoltan machine. And he put his quarter into it, and the Zoltan machine gives a fortune card. And the fortune card says, sleep will soon bring the answers you seek. And the next morning, he wakes up, bam, plot outline in head, gets the whole thing written in five hours, just in time for his meeting the next day. What? Wow. If you had told me that the guy who wrote The Hitchhiker wrote big, I would never make those connections. Yeah. For those of you, I don't know. Okay. But even that, I mean, one episode yeah. of The Hitchhiker, I mean, that was, that was the, the Hitchhiker, for those of you not familiar, was a um, long ago series that was, um, you know, kind of edgy in a creepy, you know, mysterious kind of way. Um, it was very good. Uh, but it's, you know, you think Hitchhiker, you don't think big, like connected. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, Melissa, what'd you think of Kimberly's story? Yeah, so I love the movie Big. And as somebody that loves the movie, I didn't know this fact about it. And so that makes me a little bit suspicious. I feel like if it was so rushed, I would have known maybe. Um, but only time will tell, you know? Uh -huh. All right. Only time will tell, like a fortune. Uh, Gina, what did you think of Kimberly's opening round? Oh, well, I think that she got Zoltan mixed up with Confucius uh, already, so I feel like um, Confucius does a lot of things, not Zoltan, um, mm -hmm. just so you know. And, uh, and so right now, for that reason and that reason alone, Melissa is winning. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Melissa is winning, according to Gina. So we have heard from all three historians in round number one. Uh, Adam, if you would put up round tracker, there it is. We see that round one is complete, which only means one thing, Adam. That means we're going to round number two. Let's do it. Round number two. All right. Here we, so we are. Have, here we are indeed. We have Gina with the uh, gold, uh, I'm sorry, oil being struck in uh, the town next to Wichita Falls, Texas. We have Melissa with the donut maker, Ted Noy, and, uh, using a pink box. And we have Kimberly with uh, Gary Ross who uh, wrote one episode of The Hitchhiker, um, and he was uh, up late night and uh, walked around a pier and saw a Zoltan machine. So here we are, going to go to round number two. And we're going to mix up the order a little bit. We're going to bring Melissa out first. Now, Melissa, keep in mind, we are moving to round two, which means that the round time, the, the time you have to tell your story for round two, is shortened. We're down to 60 seconds per person for this round. So you now have 60 seconds. When you are uh, in this spot that I'm in now, we're going to switch places. Uh, when you see the sundial and you hear the boom, the floor is yours. All right. So war is still going on at this point in Cambodia, and this is the 1970s. So more refugees are coming over to the United States in search of a fresh start, just like Ted was. So Ted saw his role in this period of time as one to help facilitate it. He basically became the sponsor of more than 100 families during this time, and he basically leased out spaces for other Cambodian refugees to open up their own donut shops. 
these mom and pop shops were so numerous that even big chains like Dunkin Donuts had a hard time actually making it in California. So um, at this point, I think there was one statistic that said two thirds of the donut shops in California were owned by Cambodian immigrants. So he was known as Uncle Ted by the community because he was helping people out. But at this time, he also amassed a fortune and started spending it and spending it. That's it. All right. Uh, Kimberly, what did you think of Melissa's second round story about uh, Ted the Spend Doctor? <laughs> I like donuts. I like donuts a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan. I've, I've uh, kind of like what she was saying, I've never heard of refugees owning so many and that being a, a thing. And I feel like I kind of would have known that. By this point, um, I'm interested to see how these other people took over that in popularity, maybe in the next part. But that's something I've never heard of, and okay. uh, I'm a little suspicious. All right, all right. Gina, what do you think? It was the 70s, it was mm -hmm. California. What do you think, Gina? I'm thinking now, doesn't Dunkin' Donut? No, that's orange. I was thinking they use pink boxes. See, I'm all confused. I was thinking mm -hmm. it was the Dunkin' Donuts guy. Hmm, she is tricking me right now. But having said that, though, I will poke one hole in. Um, she said the phrase, I think one statistic said, blah, bitty, blah, bitty, blah. Ooh. And so I feel like her saying she thinks means that there is doubt, which then put doubt into my mind, which means that she is no longer winning. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pulled back to the pack. All right. Mm -hmm. I did not hear that, I think. So good catch there. Uh, Kimberly, we're going to go to you next. We're going to put you in the main square here. And when you see the sundial and you hear the boom, you have the floor. 60 seconds. Okay. So production has started. The ball is rolling. And it's mostly going pretty well. Big's doing pretty well. Although, however, there's some things that are not quite going script-wise as they planned. Um, they were having a hard time incorporating the uh getting the josh baskin the tom hanks character into the corporation with the romantic lead and they were trying to figure out how to make that work so on a lunch break uh the director of excuse me the screenwriter goes uh back to the pier again and he puts another quarter in the machine and this time zoltan says the keys to happiness are often played in harmony so on the way back from uh, the lunch break to set, he passes some construction and has to take an alternate path and goes the way of FAO Schwartz. When he hits FAO Schwartz, he kind of puts two and two together with the fortune he just got and bam, he gets the inspiration for the scene where they're both playing on the keys in FAO Schwartz, which is how Josh gets to be head muckety muck at the toy company. Wow, all right, all right. Uh... Gina, what did you think of Kimberly's second round story there? Well, I think, I mean, I don't think, <laughs> I know that, um, <laughs> Wait a that this is like so funny because this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm just, every time I have to make a decision, I'm going to go to a machine and I'm going to just do whatever it says. <laughs> or I'm just going to order a thing of, I'm going to do Amazon Prime and get some by seven tomorrow morning, some fortune cookies. And before I do anything, I'm just going to read one and that will dictate my next move. No matter what it is, I'm going to justify it with that fortune cookie, just like Gary Ross. <laughs> That's a fantastic way to live. It is, that is. Hollywood people are pretty suspicious. So, hmm. very interesting way to live, indeed. Melissa, what do you think of Kimberly's second round story? Yeah. So, 
the Zoltan machine said something about harmony, but I feel like using that is not a best way to make harmony. You oh, know what I mean? But I'm kind of with Gina on this one. It's like asking a magic eight ball to write a script. It seems like, I don't know, so far-fetched at this point. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little... It's a little much to believe that, it, that you know that could be a precursor to AI. You know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, we have heard from Melissa in round two. We've heard from Kimberly in round two. So Gina, that leaves you for okay. round two to fill up that last dot in the round tracker okay. nine thousand. So right. when you see the sundial come up, you're going to have sixty seconds after you hear the boom. All right. I'm not going to tell you what happened with or to this building until the last round of the show. So in this round, what I will do is I will tell you the evolution of the building. Um, so six companies started as uh, the um, like the, the tenants of this building, one of which was uh, the the guy who built it. His name was J.D. McMahon. So um, he what he did was uh, he gave everybody the construction crew to build the, the building and then he left. He, he, he made his uh, company be one of the ones that was going to be taking up the tenant spot and then he left. Um, so the building was finished in 1920 and uh, it remains to this day as part of the Wichita Falls historical downtown. So they have not taken the building down. They have not moved that and that becomes important later and I'll tell you why. Um, they have in fact many Many, many people it's changed hands it was donated to the city um and then it kind of like it's owned by an historical society right now and everybody despite the fact the facts of the building which i will tell you later has fought to keep this building around which will make a lot more sense or no sense in the next round <laughs> all right very interesting indeed um melissa what did you think of gina's second round story yeah, so she's building a strong case about the building, right? Um, so there's that. Um, but eight <laughs> years seems like, I don't know, seems like almost not enough time if we're still talking 1912 to build a skyscraper, maybe a little bit more time's needed. That's where I'm at with this. The structural okay. hold that, hold that sure. thought. Hold All that right. Thought. All right. Okay. Hey, Kimberly, Kimberly, what did you think of Gina's second round? I. I just have a hard time finding everyone's just so in love with this building. It's just like <laughs> the beloved building of this town that everyone has rallied behind. It just seems like a lot of adoration for a thing that's going to take almost a decade during a time where people weren't super prosperous. So that's that sounds kind of fun to me. All right. All right. Okay. Some funkiness to uncover in the third round, perhaps. That, that's see. also like every cathedral in the entire Middle East. Middle East. <laughs> so I don't know. There's precedent. I'm just uh, saying. Okay. Well, Adam, if you look above my head, you can see the round tracker 3000 has round one complete, round two now complete. That means we're going to round number three. Let's do it. Okay. It's the right. final round now. It's the final countdown. <laughs> I don't have that sound bite. I had to sing it for you. We'd have to pay pay a copyright fee or license to use it. No, I didn't Uh, sing it good enough for a copyright ding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. We are going to start round three. So this one, in this round, this is our concluding round. We're going to hear the wrap-up of each of the stories. Each historian now only has 45 seconds to wrap up the stories. So we're going to uh, begin with... Uh, Kimberly, Kimberly, you're going to start round number three. So if you'd be so kind, switch places with me. There you go. And when you see the sundial come up and you hear the boom, you have 45 seconds to wrap up your story. Okay. 
So by this time, production is wrapped on big and everything is done filming. And oh, one last time, just for old time's sake. And uh, he goes and he uh, goes down the pier, except for this time, it's not there. <gasps> it's not there at all. It's just disappeared. But stuck in the corner of one of the boards by where the machine used to be is a card that is just sitting there on its own and he picks it up and it says great things are on the way for you and feeling a little nostalgic he puts it in his pocket goes on his way enjoys his memories of big goes on to be nominated for an academy award for best screenplay for his first show and uh gets a wga award and writes pleasantville and has been nominated for four academy awards since Wow. All right. Gina, you had some (laughs) thoughts on, you know, who you were wavering back and forth. What what did you think so far? Now, Kimberly's concluded her story. What do you think of the Gary Ross saga? Well, I don't know. Confucius is wrong on this one, I think, because um, great things are on the way through you, for you, for you. Great things are in store for you. In store store. for you. Okay. And so great things were in store for him. I mean, Pleasantville, big success. Um, Many movies being nominated. But did he actually win? That's the question. Because then Zoltan. He did did not win for screenplay for uh, for Big. He did win WGA for Big. Uh, He did go on to win um, four in total for a combination of like Pleasantville, uh, his adaptation of Hunger Games, I think. And his adaptation of Sea Biscuit, and like another one. That I oh, okay. About. So then, great and things did happen to him. What's huh? that? What's that? Oh, so he was nominated for best screenplay for that. Oh, okay. So uh, great things sort of did happen. I mean, maybe Confucius did get it, or Zoltan did get it right. I mean, <laughs> the little thing in the little corner. What are the odds? I don't know. This is tricky. Okay. Very tricky indeed. Very tricky indeed. Mm-hmm. Melissa, what are your thoughts on Kimberly's concluding round? I don't know. I think if there was really a Zoltan machine behind all of this, it would have said there are big things in store for you. Oh, oh man, that's great. Um, so that makes me suspicious that there wasn't symmetry there. That seems like yeah. that should there. All right, a little flag for lack of symmetry. The yellow flag comes up. All right, uh, we are going to now move on to Gina. Gina, you're going to switch okay. places with me, and when you hear... Okay. The boom, and you see the sundial. You have 45 seconds to give your concluding round story. Okay. All right. My good friend, J.D. McMahon, he got $200,000 to build this building. He was in the, the it is the equivalent of $3.5 million today. Um, and the reason that's important is because when he submitted his blueprints, he submitted that it was going to be 480 square feet, or so they thought. But actually, when he submitted the blueprints, he had done everything in inches, and he never told them the legend to this. He never told them the actual um, thing. So we, what he ended up building, what his crew ended up building is the tiniest skyscraper in the world. It is still attached to the original building, which was two stories high. The skyscraper is four stories high. It is so skinny. It is only 13 square feet around. And you have, in order to get to the top, you have to use a ladder. The businesses that were there were all there and could not ever work there because it was just unlivable and uninhabitable. The people still fight to this day to keep that building up. Unlivable and uninhabitable. Sounds like my college apartment. Uh, <laughs> Melissa, what did you think of Gina's concluding story? So I love this story. I think it's hilarious, but I also think that something isn't measuring up. So <laughs> I'm wondering, <laughs> it's eight years. It's even smaller now. 
<laughs> to make the smaller building. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. That's all. A lot of questions. A lot of questions. Indeed. Kimberly, what'd you think? Yeah, agreeing. Eight years to build something that's only four stories tall. What? The part that does seem true, though, is the if that is true, people lovingly fighting for something that obnoxious in the middle of their town. I could see that. So, <laughs> that's the only part. Years for four stories. That's that's. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, Hamanaptra would be so disappointed. <laughs> no. All right. Adam, no? You, okay. If you put up the round tracker 9,000 above my head one more time, this you will see one we more. have one and only one dot remaining, and that is the spot for Melissa's final round story. So, Melissa, you and I are going to switch places when you see the sundial and you hear the boom. You have 45 seconds to conclude your story. The floor is yours. All right, so he had amassed a fortune by this point in time. Um, he was helping other um, refugees open their own donut shops. He was making money. He was a millionaire. However, he spent that money on lavish trips. He was partying up with politicians and he was taking trips to Vegas all of the time. So he ended up losing a lot of his money, so much so that he actually started betting the donut shops um, as like collateral to get more money. There was one story where he asked one of his donut, sh donut sh shop owners for $85,000. They got pulled over for speeding and they lost the $85,000 somehow in the process. So he lost his fortune. Wow. Uh, all right, uh, Gina, what did you think, Gina, of Melissa's conclusion and the I think that poor he, saga of Ted? I know he spends a lot of money like a freaking U.S. court justice. I mean, it's like he's just taking oh, trips and oh. things. I mean, everything is freaking great. Um, having said that, though, my hope, please tell me that the way the story ended was that he sold it to Dunkin' Donuts. Please, is that no? Yeah. Uh, so he basically, some of the shops are still up and running today. They just became their own owners. Like they ah, turned okay. over ownership. Others, they probably sold to other donut shops like a Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, okay. Uh, All right. So that's Lay's for me. Okay. And, and Kimberly, what are your thoughts on Melissa's conclusion? For someone who's that terrible with money, <laughs> how did they ever get there in the first place where they were successful? It's like they had a great business plan going into it, and then suddenly they're just going to throw it all away? I... How do you only have good business acumen for the first half? <laughs> the Republicans would tell you that is because you helped immigrants. That's true. Well, all right. Uh, let's see. We are now going to have a moment where we all consider the three stories, who we think could be oh. the, the bluff for tonight. Oh, um, that's so right. The round tracker is full, my the friend. The round tracker is full. Yes. So it's time right. to consider. Uh, is, uh, you know, so, so, uh, Gene, I'm going to start with you. What do you? Who do you think is the bluff, Gene? Let's let's get some um, guesses here. I'm 100% going with Kim because it was rather. I mean, I get that he was trying to make a screenplay, and so that is why he went to the little machine. But he'd already made it, and it was successful. And then he goes, and there's a little thing in the corner. I mean, that's really convenient. And so okay. I, I feel like. I feel like her story might be the bluff, but it's I, I reserve the right to change my mind if I'm wrong. Wait, okay. You can't. It, this is wait. That's a game show. You can't do that. <laughs> I know. I know. She'll, she'll, she'll change, Adam, she'll change her mind next week. 
In uh, her heart. Yeah. <laughs> In my uh, heart. So it's a lack of convenience story. Okay, uh, yeah. Melissa, oh, what did you... Uh, Melissa, who do you think is bluffing with? Ooh, this one's tough. I'm going to have to go with Gina's story. The, the numbers aren't adding up. So I just, I have so many questions about the height, the measurements, and the years, and the money. <laughs> just a few questions. Okay. Yes. Um, and uh, Kimberly, we have one vote for you, one vote for Gina. Who do you think is the bluff? I think after thinking about it, I, th- it seems ridiculous that it took eight years to build a four-story thing. But people would absolutely rally behind something that ridiculous. And that, that seems... <laughs> but the crazy back and forth with the money of the donut story, especially, he just lost all of it all at once. <laughs> it seems really abrupt. Hmm. And again, contradicts the, the acumen of the first half. So I'm going to say Melissa. So we have wow. a vote for each of them now. We have a vote for Kimberly, a vote for Gina, and a vote for Melissa. Um, and uh, I, my my theory on on whole Ted thing is you know how did he get the money in the beginning? It's like people just like to listen to Ted talk, so um, that's how they invest. <laughs> oh, jeez! Uh, All right. <laughs> nice, uh, Adam. I'm going to turn yes. it over to you. Let's find out who is tonight's history bluff. All right, Chris. I'm going to have you step off the virtual stage. We're going to set him up. We're going to put everyone on the stand and find out. Was your bluff for this episode, was it Gina? Was it Melissa? Or was it Kimberly? I have the truth. The bluff for this show. It was Kimberly. (laughs) It was convenient. It was convenient. (laughs) All very right. nice, Kim. <laughs> very nicely done indeed. Well, uh, that was our show. Hope you all that are watching enjoyed it. And those of you listening, hope you're entertained and enjoy it. We will be back once again for another episode coming up soon. Adam, I'm going to hand it off to you. Let's take it away. All right, Chris, thank you so much for hosting. This has been History of Bluffs. Get us where you get your podcast. You can listen to the audio episode. And we'll be here next week, every week. Tune in to learn something.